a listener production. I'm Action Alexa, former college American football player and wrestler turned half Ironman competitor. I've recovered from alcoholism and managed to die on the operating table four times. And now I'm a strength coach and motivational speaker. And I'm Jenna Louise, an ex-competitive gymnast and BMX racer, now a multidisciplined, high-performance athlete and coach. Over the course of our careers within the fitness industry, we've seen firsthand the impact that physical strength and mental toughness can have in changing the course of people's lives. In our podcast, How Fitness Saved My Life, we invite people to share the stories and practical skills of how they built their physical, mental and emotional fitness and how that saved them at the hardest time of their life. That moment was like instant panic. It was the most amount of pain I've ever been in, but also the most calm. I just was only able to focus on the breath because that controlled the pain. Today's guest is three times BMX world champion, five times mountain bike world champion, dual Olympic athlete and most recently the first female to successfully nail a double front flip on a mountain bike, Caroline Buchanan. And nailing that double front flip was an amazing feat considering that there was a period in Caroline's life where she doubted that she would even get on a bike again after a horrific accident left her with bleeding around her heart, collapsed lungs, a broken nose and a broken sternum. Today, we are so excited to learn exactly how Caroline rebuilt her physical strength and mental stamina to get her to the point of being back on top of her game again as a cyclist. She's a pro athlete, mentor, and proud advocate for women in sport. Welcome, Caroline. That was a mouthful. <laughs> Wasn't it? I even had to no, shorten it. Your wow. successes are too much. <laughs> Honestly, I sat there after that. Like, do you ever feel like you listen to your own body and you're like, holy crap? I'm sitting here going, yeah, and I'm total underachiever. Cool. <laughs> no. Anyway. It's funny. It can be a blessing in your worst nightmare. It was for so many years I was so wound up in that bio, that being my identity and it's so important just as much as who you are off the bike and out of your professional career. Um, that was one of my biggest struggles. So, yeah, to actually just be a good human, you know, sit back, give yourself a pat on the back and, you know, it's such an important part of it as well. Oh, I love, love that aspect of it yeah. and that you can see that side of it and that's your perspective of it. I think that that's definitely a really healthy way to look at your achievements as well. Yeah, you've got to. I think for me, it was injury that stripped that away. But once you do sit back, like we are so much more than our job titles and that identity is a female. It's like, who can you be to your best friend? Who can you be to yourself? And you got to love yourself first. So, Well, speaking of successes, let's get into it. Like where, where did all this begin, Caroline? I mean, like you have achieved so much in your life, like more than most people will ever dream of achieving. As a little girl... What did you want to do when you grow up? Well, my mom realized super early that I was basically a dedicated athlete. When we were three years old, I was walking through like the local video store and my mom was trying to point out like Disney videos and it was like your typical video store back then. And I picked up a Nadia Comaneci Perfect 10 Gymnastic <laughs> Doco at three. And I was doing gymnastics at the time. My mom's like, oh dear, here we go. Like, this is going to be some dedicated athlete. And she was pretty right. So from the age of five, I was doing like tennis, taekwondo, soccer, got on a BMX and just like loved it. I really struggled like early on as an athlete in team sports. 
I really mm-hmm. love that failure was on me. Like I wanted to score the goal. I wanted to save the goal, but I love that success and failure really was on you. So I really sort of at an early age found myself like going towards those individual sports quite young. And from the time I was five, I was competing at world level at nine years old, went off to Paris with my dad, took my Cabbage Patch doll, Trev, and we went to the Eiffel Tower, race, race the world championships. Um, and that was like my decider. It was nine years old. Did I want to get a black belt in Taekwondo or did I want to do the BMX world championships? So yeah, for me, nine years old, it was really that like turning point to dedicate my life towards BMX. And I look back now and I'm just so glad that I found my passion so young. Oh what a, gosh, I mean, what totally. a choice to have at nine years old. But yeah. also, can we just take a moment to appreciate the Accord Your Cabbage Patch doll, Trev? <laughs> Trevor. <laughs> out of all of that. I'm so Aussie. Out of all of that, Alexa picks up the, the Cabbage Patch name. Yeah. I, mean, like, I was listening to the gymnastics and I was like, I mean, I have to say when I was like 11 or 12 or something, I, I tried gymnastics and I remember doing a floor routine to Belinda Carlisle, Circle in the Sand. And it was oh. the worst floor routine I've ever seen. I wish there's a video seen. of this. I really wish there was a video. No, you don't. I mean, when we talk about were you bad at things and I'm like, look, I gave it a red hot crack, people, and it just wasn't my passion. There you go. <laughs> look, you made me realise something as you were saying when you were young that you did team sports, but it made you realise the honest was on you essentially doing a sport that was quite solo. And you've just made me realise that I have exactly those traits about myself as well is that, yes, I tried team sports, but when I found most at home was either on my bike, on my rollerblades, on my wakeboard or on my snowboard. And they are all fairly solo. (laughs) Is there something wrong with me? It's funny (laughs) because I played team sports. So I did like the netball, soccer, all of that sort of thing. I was in the cross country team and it's all like team stuff. And it was really interesting because you find out a lot about who you are as a person, Mm. obviously doing, you know, individual pursuits, but also like in a team, like how do you respond when the chips are down? How do you respond when your teammate isn't doing what they're meant to be doing? How do you respond if you get critiqued by somebody else who believes that you're not doing their job? So it's kind of interesting because there'd be a lot of people that like hiding behind a team. Like if you don't win, you've got other people that are along there who also lost with you. Whereas there's something to be said for people who enjoy individual pursuits and are willing to take that win or loss on themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real creative journey. And from that young age, it was like, people would ask, how are you so motivated and dedicated? It's like, well, I don't want to get beat. So (laughs) if I don't do the training, I know that someone else is and there's no white lines. So from a young age in BMX, I didn't have a white line between me and a competitor. They were going to cut me off. And up until the age of 13, it was racing the boys and they didn't treat me as a girl. So yeah, I kind of like found my feet real young to go, if I don't train correctly, then I'm going to chase the ones who do and to kind of put in the work and reap the benefits. Yeah. I always had this saying like out in front and out of trouble. That's so I good. knew that if I was in the pack, I would get cut off. I would be in the collisions. I would have injuries. So that really determined my commitment to my strength and conditioning, the foundation that I laid because I didn't want those injuries. So yeah, kept me, my body in check from quite young. <laughs> well, it's kind of also a testament too, because I, I read that you were in the Canberra bushfires and you pretty much lost everything, but you guys as a family saved your bikes 
is pretty much the only thing that you saved. I mean, that pretty much says a lot about where you were going to take your career right from then. It did. And what was very important to you as a family. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we saved our bikes. We really pulled together as a family and straight away, like after that event, my we went to the national championships. My dad won the national title in the 45-plus category. My brother broke his neck and what? ended up a paraplegic, which is pretty gnarly, and then regained feeling, went through all these surgeries, came back. He's all good now. He's a real estate agent I in did Canberra. not know about your dad or your brother. That's fascinating. Yeah, we wow. were like this epic, wow. epic family. And I won the national title that same event too. So um, it was basically in our blood as a family to really like pull together, whether it was the fires, we checked back in, we went to this national title together. We scrounged up bikes from everyone that was like donating things to us at the time. And we set out on this journey and ticked off goals and um, yeah, recovered. So it's kind of, yeah, it's really been a blessing because quite young, when you lose everything at 12 years old and only have your bike, it strips away the materialness, Mm. everything. And i I think it really like gave me that fire and that hunger to dedicate my life more to my sport even earlier than potentially I would have. So crazy. So you grew up in Canberra. I remember your training hood being, was it Melba BMX track? Yes. Yes. Melba BMX and Canberra BMX track. Yeah. They were my stomping grounds. Mate, I used to hoon around thinking I was Caroline Buchanan back in the day. <laughs> we would have crossed paths for yeah, sure. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I don't know when. For sure. I was definitely not at your calibre, but I absolutely, absolutely loved BMX riding as well as BMX racing. And as a matter of fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were out at Stromlo and I was just hooning down the tracks going, I am Caroline Buchanan. And <laughs> That's gold. So, <laughs> do you find that like you guys hooned around at nine years old, like absolutely fearlessly? And I think as kids we are, we haven't had any major experiences with injury yet, so we are relatively fearless. Has that changed for you kind of over the years or are you just as fearless now as you were then? Uh, she just did a double front flip on a mountain. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> and nailed it. Relatively so, fearless. That says that. Um, <laughs> no, I have so much fear all the time. I have tricks that I want to land. I have the unknown. I feel nervous. Like that's part of the most amazing side of sport is this is what you live for. You prepare for it, but it's unknown. Nothing's given. So when I was like younger growing up, I used to fight that fear and I learned that I needed to bring it along for the ride. And I would like visualize and talk to it and recognize like, okay, you're talking to me right now. You're trying to like get me to stop this jump that I'm about to do, but you're coming along for the ride. I'm putting it in my pocket and like Thank you for trying to protect me. Like, I'm sweating, I'm nervous, I'm shaking, I have anxiety. Like, whatever your fear senses you're giving me right now, just, like, thank it and be like, come on, we're going. And I'd be, like, pedaling into new jumps, like, pretending I've got this, like, fear in my back pocket, like, come on, come on, come on, we're going to do it. Um, so it's not as though, like, I fight fear, but I learnt to work with it. With it. God, I love that. I absolutely love that. And don't they say the most courageous people, it's not the absence of fear. It is the ability to use it. It's feeling the fear and then doing it anyway. Using it as a catalyst to perform. Yeah. And just like the playfulness. I think that's what I've been so fortunate. And now what you girls are realizing, like your play, your creativity is when you're in the gym, when you're training, when you're being creative. Like for me, 
I've rode a kid's bike for a living since a very young age. Realistically, <laughs> as serious as you want to take it, like <laughs> it's a kid's bike. Um, but I've had that playtime um, and that's for me where I've really like had that refreshing switch off from the real adulting life. Yeah, and that balance of risk reward and, and fear. Talking about fear, you know, you've had some pretty serious and life-threatening accidents during your career on the BMX bike, actually just on two wheels in general. I mean, just for context here, when we talk about significant injury, obviously podcast being how fitness saved my life. I mean, it really, if you look at your injury, I mean, you had bleeding around your heart, Mm. you had collapsed lungs, you had a broken nose, but probably the most serious, I guess, that you carried with you from then is obviously the injury to your sternum. Yeah. And they've had to (laughs) rebuild that. So literally it's one of those things that like, a false move could kill you. Yeah. So for those that don't know, what happened New Year's Eve of 2017, a friend rolled an off-road vehicle on a private property about an hour and a half out of Cooma. And so no phone service, completely rural. We're heading back down to the campsite, complete freak accident. The buggy rolled, it rolled over me. And fortunately for my athletic career, everything went slow-mo. So I was able to really hone in on the moment and understand what was happening. As we were starting to flip, I could tell that the buggy was going up an embankment. My friend had dropped under the vehicle. Luckily, it cleared her. And as it rolled over me, I saw the roll cage and grabbed it like a bench press. I think at the time I was only benching like 50 kilo. I never had a strong bench. Like I had amazing strong legs, but functionally like strong, upper body, not so much. You've always said your upper body's not as strong as your lower, so. (laughs) No, every program you've wrote me, I'll like die on the upper body. (laughs) But I'm like, thanks, Jenna. You're welcome. Uh, So as I roll under it, I grab it like a bench press and all I'm telling myself is like, don't get pinched and just push the weight of this vehicle. It rolled over me and as it crushed me, luckily it went onto four wheels, otherwise I wouldn't be here today. It went back onto four wheels and I knew instantly that something really was impacting my life. The feeling was I got winded, but never was able to take a breath again. So that moment was like instant panic. (laughs) Um, And straight away, it was like you go into that fight or flight. And I went into that survival mode. We managed to get back to Kuma. One of my crazy friends, Kai, he'd punctured lungs before. And I said to him, you know, it feels like I'm taking a breath, but there's nothing to stop it. There's no wall. It was like it just dissipated into my whole body. And he's like, oh, you've definitely done a lung. So fortunately he was like, casually, he's like, oh God, you probably punched lungs. So he did a guided meditation from the farm all the way until Kuma to the hospital. It was just in one, two, out one, two, in one, two, out one, two. And we just went into this trance like... That car ride went so fast because all we were focusing on was our breath. And got to the hospital, same thing again. Um, New Year's Eve, no ambulance. It was in Canberra. They couldn't air flight me at that point. So then we had more delays to get to Canberra Hospital. And they weren't able to do my lung drains at Kuma. It had to be in Canberra. So... It was four and a half hours from the accident to the time I actually got to Canberra Hospital before they put me into ICU and um, drained my lungs. And at that point, yeah, I'd punch in my heart wall, so my heart wall was bleeding out to my lungs. It was called like a pneumothorax, so both my lungs were punched and collapsed. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
And then on top of that, I had my broken sternum. So it was the most amount of pain I've ever been in, but also the most calm. I never really tried to think about all the what ifs about my career at that point. I just was only able to focus on the breath because that controlled the pain. That's incredible. Like I was just sitting here thinking, I struggle to do like a five-minute yeah. meditation and here you are pretty much dying. <laughs> yeah. But you did a four-and-a-half-hour meditation. <laughs> you would have been able to as well. I mean, it just goes to show the power of the breath. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I'm thinking. I'm not sure I could have sustained that for that period of time because I would be panicking. Yeah. So it is so good to hear that you were able to, well, first of all, you had the support of your friend who was able to help guide you through that as well. But also you're able to tap into self-awareness. Yeah. And use breath. Your body is so intelligent. It naturally does it. It wasn't like a real conscious decision. It was just I'd done a little bit of breath work from my high-performance career. We, With the Australian Institute of Sport, we'd had underwater breath work that we've done. So those moments when you're on the bottom of the swimming pool and you're waiting for the instructor to tap that rock and you come oh. back up to take that oh, deep gosh. breath. That's not me. Oh, my gosh. We'd, we'd done a little bit of this. <laughs> and well, when it comes to your life, you know, your body just naturally goes into that state. Wowee. I mean, that yeah. is that's wow. kind of incredible. Stuff. And is it, are you encouraged now to do some bench pressing in the gym? <laughs> yeah, I, I am now. Um, after I had my first chest reconstruction, the first plate went in, then I snapped that plate. So then I had a second plate put in about six months later and then that backed out within four days. So I heard the bolts moving every breath I took. Oh, God. Four days later, they re-scammed me. I go back in. I'm in California, two cardiothoracic surgeons, and they're like, right, we're going to plate your chest back together. We're going to wire cable it, and we're going to bolt it. We're just going to hit it from three angles, and third time lucky, it'll be a nine-month recovery. Really, like, eight months out of, like, any exercise at all. Like, don't wow. lift your arms above your head, you're T-Rex. Like, you are so <laughs> fragile. Don't don't open doors. Don't put your arms above your head. Wash your hair like this. Like, that was where I was at. Talk to us about your lowest breaking point that sort of turned everything around and what led you to that moment. So lowest point, yeah, probably my career was post all of those surgeries, injuries, about two and a half years on. So it was when I was returning to my bike, I'd lost my identity mm. and wondering, will I ever ride a bike again? Will I return to being a high performance athlete? What will I do? I've never had a real job, <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> so it was really the questions, but learning who I was as a person, learning to sit with myself, loving myself first to rebuild from that trauma that was really what stemmed the foundation to launch back into a professional career and be strong again. But I had to start from the inside out before I rebuilt my body. I had to rebuild my mind. One thing I really remember that stands out for me during that period watching you was how positive you were. Thank you. You were so <laughs> positive. I mean, that's the energy you portrayed anyway. You were so positive across this social media. Your smile, honestly sends the whole world crazy. I honestly <laughs> believe you have healing powers with that smile of yours. The positivity over your social account that you were going through this major transformation in your life, major rehabilitation, 
and yet you still are there smiling, sharing your journey, empowering other people and leading the way. And that to me has always been so inspiring. You have always been so inspiring. But just to watch your positivity when you are in a hard time of your life. Yeah. It's so inspirational. On that note though, like do you have, because there's so much chat around sort of like almost like toxic positivity, Mm. you know, like and the fact that you're going through something but you have this front of like I've got this, nothing's going wrong, I'm so happy, I'm going to get through it. Were there days where you were like, you know what, fuck this, this sucks? Yeah. And then what did you do in those days or those moments? Well, quite early when I was basically in ICU, I decided to post a photo. In the neck brace, blood everywhere, like the real rawness. And that was the moment that I just ripped the Band-Aid off and was like, I know I'm in this for a long haul. That truth and authenticity, I think it was like overnight, 22,000 people were interested in me automatically on Instagram. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I've won all these world titles and you guys are more interested in this like gnarly accident. Humanness. Humanness, Mm. yeah. Yeah. You know, Um, I think a lot of people really started to stand behind me, but it was hard. It was the best thing that happened in my life because at the time I'd won so many world titles, national titles, Olympics. I always wanted to be more, do more. I felt that I was never enough. So my worth was only surrounded by my success, the last success I had, and on to the next success. Super amazing to achieve really huge goals, but long-term health as a female, as a partner in a relationship, it didn't have longevity and something was going to break it. My accident, I truly believe it was the universe going, this is like your breaking point. This is going to unravel your world. So the best thing from it was that positivity that I shared. I was going through hell at the same time. Yeah. I went through a marriage, a divorce within a few months, sold my house in America, moved back to Australia, basically like cleared friendship circles, changed management companies. Like my entire support network that I had of 10 years, stripped. And it was the greatest thing that's ever happened from that pivotal lowest point in my career. And fitness, I can truly say, like saved my life in that point because when I was cleared of that final surgery got back to sport nine months after that one, the first thing I did was Muay Thai. I I just wanted to do something I'd never done in my life, and it was martial arts. I'd done Taekwondo as a kid, but I needed that release. I was angry. I was angry at, like, what I'd gone through and, you know, someone else that rolled this vehicle and all of this I needed to release from from my heart. So Muay Thai was amazing. Like, I got to beat the shit out of my trainer and like, (laughs) you know, I needed that at the time. An epic amount of fitness and strength and it was that paired with road cycling as my base before I stepped back onto mountain biking and back into BMX. It's interesting, isn't it? Like, because I had like, I had a hip replacement and I died on the table. Ooh. And it was one of those things where it's like, for me, my identity was challenged as well. Because you you kind of, you identify as being an athlete, you identify as being really strong. And all of a sudden you're like, well, if I can't do all these things, who the hell am I? Mm. But for me, it was the training side of things. The minute I could get back to that or, you know, I've always had this saying that like, when I feel physically strong, I think strong thoughts. Yeah. And I think that's such a huge part of like, if you are an athlete, and if you do identify with that, like training is the thing that kind of brings you back. 
or it's a it's a tool to allow you to become whatever you want to become, mm. you know, so. Definitely. The other tool which, like, really helped get me through was I'd set an alarm on my phone every morning and I don't think I'd really been, like, a super grateful person prior. And, you know, I was always hungry, but I never checked into, like, the daily little small achievements so I'd set an alarm on my phone every day and like when I'd wake up, it was just three things you're grateful for. And every day had to be something new, couldn't repeat from yesterday and it had to be in the moment. So like if I was going through like surgeries or whatever it was, it was like grateful that dad bought me avocado toast to the hospital that day or, you know, like I'd wake up and sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm grateful for shit. Um, but but it I does, think, yeah. it puts you in a completely different state, even if you don't feel like doing it and you force yourself to do it, it has this almost instant, you know, mind state shift just by writing three things that you are grateful for, even if they are small things like avocado toast. I mean, for you at that time, it's probably one of the biggest things to be grateful for, but um, but they work. That's why they say to do them and, you know, writing three small things, you know, to say that you, uh, what you're grateful for in that moment can really help shift your state of mind at that time to put you in a better state of mind for the rest of the day. Yeah. I think also when you start when you start thinking about how many things you're grateful for, not only do you realise how many things you yeah. have to be grateful for, but you also just start becoming more grateful and you get more good things that come into your life. Like gratitude becomes this thing of abundance. Yes. You know, the more grateful you are, the more things you end up having, mm-hmm. which is a cool thing. Yeah. So your sternum now, I mean, do you set off, do you set off alarms when you go through? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you I must. Do. Do you? Um, I get tapped down <laughs> a lot. I always tap my back though, and I'm like, you it's don't know the chest. My chest. <laughs> yeah. So I have so you like, feel it. Oh yeah. I have a just yeah, right. literally like big scar down my chest. I remember some gruesome photos as well that you would share. Like, oh yeah, they were pretty. Whew. The goriness. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> while I think it's amazing to share that stuff, it was just like, oh my gosh, you are going through some serious. Um, rebuilding right now. So that scar is something to be proud of more than anything, yeah. right? Like, do you look at that and go, wow, I am incredible? Yeah. You know, I think I only like to look back to really go, like, see how far I've come. But I am grateful for it because it completely changed my life. It set me on the direction and that authentic path that I needed to be on. And yeah, it's a bit of an accessory. Like, I did a women's health event a couple of years ago and I made sure of it. It was like pretty fresh at that point. So it was like I hadn't lasered it and everything. It was prominent. I wore this like hot red, red. jumpsuit, yeah, low I remember cut it. top. I was like, I'm not wearing a necklace. Like this is my accessory for the night. And I love that. Yeah, I know. I loved it. Banging. Yeah. I love so that cool. so much. <laughs> Far out. That's your accessory. Not what? That's like the best accessory you could ever have. A constant reminder of how strong you are. Epic. Epic. So speaking of the path that you're on, like you've been to the Olympics, you were the favourite to go into a race and you had this plan in your mind and you were going to take lane one and there's David Beckham and there's all these things that you (laughs) never (laughs) thought were going to happen to you. And then you've taken lane three. Yeah. And things did not go to plan. So talk me through that. Yes. So first Olympic Games, I wanted to do the Beijing ones, but I was too young. So I came in really hungry and prepared. I literally spent the last five years of my career just like completely dedicated, eat, sleep, breathe, Olympics, a yellow brick road, nothing else mattered. And yeah, I had been riding amazing all day, set the fastest time in the quarterfinal, semifinal, first lane pick for the final. 
The defining moment and the switch of my gears was walking up to that Olympic final. I'd been in a really great mindset all day and it was like a the blinkers of a horse. They opened up and automatically I saw the crowd that I'd never seen all day. I was aware of all these senses, all these people, the pressure automatically hit me. Yeah. My coach at the time, I said to him, I was like, what lane do I choose? Normally you'd say lane one, the inside advantage. Like you've earned that spot. That's your position that, you know, own your space, hold your space. And he said, no, you can win from any lane. Pick whatever you want. (laughs) And it just like automatically I was like, oh, I can choose whatever lane I want. Like real shift of that offensive mindset into a defensive mindset. So all of a sudden I went up there going, oh, well, this is my race to lose. You know, I have all this choice. Like I can win from any lane and it was defensive. It was all about I'm protecting this win that I, I'm i going to achieve. And the performer went out the window. I choked. I missed the gate. Like lane's literally seventh in the first turn, fought back to fifth, crossed the finish line. The biggest change from that Olympic Games was that next year I was like, I need to come in with an offensive mindset. This can never happen again. I need to be optimistic on the front foot, prepared that really like with a healthy relationship towards my competitors, towards myself. And so I was like, I really want to understand how I deal with pressure at a higher level. And I set this goal to win three world championship titles in three sports, three energy systems in 72 days in three countries. (laughs) Insane. I know. (laughs) I'm pulling my hair out now. Um, And it was unreal. I walked away with two world titles that year, made history, and to myself had beat the Olympic champion six months later that had just beat me at the Olympic Games. And the only difference in those two years was the fact that I was hungry and it was that mindset shift. I wasn't protecting. I wasn't trying to just do enough. I wasn't worried about what's going to affect it. It was going on the front foot. Yeah, right. And you talk about now, so you have like before it was just a plan A and this is what Jenna was saying before. Like Mm. she's like, no, I have one plan and it has to work. Like there's no other backup plan. Well, yeah, you don't, you have a plan A. (laughs) You have a plan A, know it's going to work. You're going to back yourself that you don't need a plan B. But you, you don't have- need a plan B. <laughs> it's supposed to work. Yeah. Or it'll be like plan C. Crap. <laughs> but then, so you're saying now, yeah, you have a plan A, plan B and plan C, yeah? Yeah. Is that how it works now? I mean, at the moment now, I've always got like multiple plans. Yeah, definitely. Of course. But of course. at that time, that Olympic mindset shift, it was just about being more on the attack versus the defence to my goals, to my mindset, to my whole preparation. So, Caroline, we obviously know how important physical training is to you and your sport, but tell us about the mental side of things. Like, what are your accessories to fitness, like meditation, breathing, mindfulness, visualisation, all of those things that sort of help you get your mind in the right place to compete? Well, as a kid, I had a statement that my dad actually printed. It was my champion's creed very young, about 10 years old, and put it on my window. And every time I'd like brush my teeth, go into the bathroom, I'd always see it. And it instilled so much positive belief and affirmations at the time that I didn't even understand. 
And it was, I'm a champion. I believe in myself. I have the will to win. I surround myself with winners. I'm cool, positive, confident. I have courage. I never give up. I'm willing to pay the price of success. I love the struggle. I love the competition. I vividly imagine what victory will feel like. I'm a champion and I will win. Oh, you shouldn't even look at a paper. Like, there's no paper. I'd be like, where's my notes here? That's a very long mantra. <laughs> when you, like, brush your teeth and you look at this from a little girl and every time that I would, like, crash, fail, get bullied by people, like whatever it was, and you're, like, back as a little girl, like, brushing your teeth, reading this, it was that champion's creed, that mantra. So it was that wow. accessory as a little girl that, you know. It's just there. I you need to put that it. on my mirror immediately. <laughs> Me too. You should make that available for sale. Yes, please. Just Google Champions Creed. <laughs> okay. On now. it. On it. <laughs> then I would say like through the highest, busiest points of my career, that accessory was always my vision board. Um, it was where I'd be super accountable. It was that mirror of life gives you what you are, not what you want. Mm. So it was right in front of me to go, am I hitting all my markers? My training, my content, my sponsorship, my calendar, and I would just have it all up there. So I'd say my vision board was definitely my biggest accountability and accessory. And then through the hard times, it was the breath work. Mm. It was going to a meditation retreat for seven days of virtually noble silence full monks, like, intense in California. I would not um, cope. Taught me so much, but it was, like, a, such a great asset. So, yeah. Wow. And my accessories. I really want to do that. I definitely don't want to do that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I am not going to the silent retreat. You're not shutting me up I mean, and putting me in the corner. Nope. The next thing that we've got to do is actually, Caroline, is take Alexa out on a bike with us. Yes. That'll be the other hip that gets replaced. That'd be great. <laughs> And so now you have started an incredible program, uh, mentoring program. You are leading the way for the next generation, for girls in sports and probably boys too. So do you want to talk <laughs> about your new program and where that started? And yeah, just give us a bit of history and, and wrap it up for us. Yeah, the girls. Yeah, the I girls. Love <laughs> I love sitting in a room of just boss girls, by yes. the way. Confident, knowing that they can do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And lifting other girls up. Yeah. Growing up in a male-dominated sport, all my staff, all my support, everyone I was surrounded by was always the boys. And I really struggled growing up being that girl and having to navigate my way through to the top. So when Lane Beachley at age 14 believed in me and helped me with her scholarship program, I was so motivated to go one day, like, I really want to do a scholarship program for girls. It started off as a girls team eight years ago, and it was then evolved into more of a scholarship where if they won the national championships, applied for the scholarship, I would help assist them through sponsorship to help them get to the world titles. So then they would get that exposure on that global level of what it's like to compete in the world stage. I'd help be there with them, mentor them through them at the same time I'm racing. So for me to race and then to turn around and see these young 14, 15-year-old girls then achieve their goals, we had one girl win a world championship, which was, like, amazing, but, you know, more importantly, it was just gave me so much energy, passion, purpose, legacy, and I was addicted. I was like, I really want to just, like, continue to do more. With COVID, we decided to restructure it to Ignite and 
really bring back this opportunity to the girls in Australia and not only BMX, but mountain bike, motorbikes, so two-wheeled action sports, not just about 14, 15, from 13 all the way through to 19-year-old girls. They opened the applications up and it was really an ignition to their dreams. I said to them, you know, how can I help you get from where you are now to where you want to be in the next four months? And what's a very tangible goal that we can calculate with $4,000 to go towards it, $1,000 towards content budget on top. So we're going to document it. We've got media, there's sponsors. I'm going to help walk you through all of this. And so the response was insane, like the talent and how the girls approached it. And I was pretty overwhelmed reading them. But yeah, I selected three girls these last few weeks and have had mentor calls with them and as a program, it's about to hit 100,000 of support over the wow. last seven years. And that was always my goal to oh. go, like, I'd love to hit 100K. You are so <laughs> amazing. Yeah, isn't it cool to sit here, though? You just said, you know, like, Lane Beachley at 14 was one of your biggest mentors. Isn't it cool to think that in, like, another five or ten years, you're going to be sitting there listening to a podcast and a young girl's going to pipe up after winning five <laughs> yes. world yes. champions and go, Caroline Buchanan was one of my biggest mentors and she told me I was going to win more medals and more championships than she was and I told her I didn't believe her mm-hmm. and here we are. Here we are. Here we okay. are again. So I think it's amazing. Like, I mean, there is one thing that I wanted to touch on. Like, you talked about one of your rivals, Jill Kintner. Yeah. And one of my favourite, like, a good quote that I love is, like, you know, be the woman that inspires other women to up their game. And is that kind Mm. of how you felt? Like, it wasn't, like, a disrespectful rivalry. It was something you've always wanted to lift other women up. Is that what you were for each other? Yeah. I've had a lot of rivals. And they are. They're the ones that make you push in those dark hours in the gym when you don't want to complete those sets. The champions are formed and those grandstands are empty. And the girls, yeah, they really, for me, have pushed me over the years. And I think likewise, that healthy respect for your competition. One of my biggest rivals, Mariana Pajon, she went on to win two Olympic game gold. We'd gone back and forward through many world titles over the years. And, you know, she's walked away with something, a goal that I always wanted. I always wanted that Olympic gold medal and I'm never going to achieve that. But to me... One of the fiercest rivalries that I've had with her led me to my greatest Olympic moment. And it was in Rio. I'd crashed out in the semifinal. I had tears like all over my face. I was like pretty devastated, walked up into the stands with my Aussie flag around my my neck. And Mariana is in South America. So, you know, she's like the queen. And there was these like walls of Colombians and her family and everyone gave me this standing ovation. So at the time, you know, I don't even know how many thousands of people, but it was walls. And it was about 10 minutes before the Olympic final. I wasn't up there competing, but I managed to get this standing ovation. And for me, I took a step back. I was like, whether I'd won this event or not won this event, I would have got that same response. Yes. Serious respect. It was like amazing to go. I'm so glad that I've had these healthy rivalries, but we fought fair. And that's the whole movement of the Olympic Games. So Ugh. insane. Fought fair. I absolutely love that. I know. That's amazing. I absolutely love that. So what advice would you give people struggling with motivation or commitment towards their goals? Ooh, that this too shall pass has been a really strong saying that's helped me get through good times, through bad times. Um, this moment of opportunity, whether it's pain, whether it's an opportunity to succeed, 
it will pass. So how are you going to handle that to make it the best moment that you can to structure your day better, to be a better person, to love yourself, whatever it is, that really was strong to me. It's all temporary, right? Just knowing that no matter what you're going through, good or bad, like you said, it is temporary Mm -hmm. and that we are forever evolving. We're always becoming and that no two days are ever going to be the same, that you have the opportunity to change your circumstances by making a choice. Yeah. I mean, your mindset is incredible. I think like even sitting here watching you, you've just got this calm, Mm. focused energy about you. You know, like if you walked into a boxing ring, I'd almost be more terrified of someone who walked in who was like agitated and running around the ring because you've just got this clear, calm, focused, I got this attitude. And that's something that can't be said enough about and for. You know, that's that's something in itself to be passed on to the people that follow you. And I know that you use social media. You're a huge advocate of mindset on there and of bringing girls sport up and allowing them to get sponsorship and allowing it to, you know, to bring it into the forefront, especially when there's a whole lot of stuff going around about gender disparity in terms mm. of pay and, you know, mm-hmm. all of that thing in, in world sport. So, you know, far out. Congratulations on everything. Is there, I mean, I was just reading here all your accolades. I mean, Jenna gave you such a big pump up at the beginning, but <laughs> list them off because Seriously. they are noteworthy. You are the recipient of the Australian People's Choice Cyclist of the Year, a seven-time recipient of the Elite Women's BMX Cyclist of the Year, four-time recipient of the Elite Women's Mountain Bike Cyclist of the Year and a finalist in both the ACT Young Australian of the Year and Young Canberran of the Year. I mean, when are people going to get bored of you? I know. Seriously. <laughs> are there any more awards that you can get? And is there anything that you're bad at? Apart oh, yeah. From, apart from, oh, come on. Can't sing, can't dance. No, we know. <laughs> Apparently you're a little bit clumsy. For somebody who should be very coordinated, you've got a lot of clumsy tendencies. Oh, yeah. Life's hard. <laughs> on a daily? Myself, on a daily. Like I have this like, there's one for the day. Just calm, don't, let it, don't react. There's two for the day. If I get to three for the day, <laughs> then I'm like, all right, Caroline. <laughs> oh, yeah, so... I think you can guess who told us. Yeah, my partner, probably for sure. <laughs> you can come but he later. also did mention that you are the most dedicated and hardworking individual he has ever met in his life. Oh. So that is, he actually used that as an opener, just so you know. Mm. So that was prime position I in the <laughs> things that most people don't know about you. But I'm sure most people know that about you. Oh, he's beautiful. <laughs> Isn't he? Good human. All right, Caroline. What is your next goal and can you tell us a little bit about what your training is like? Uh, I'm spending the next two months here in New Zealand doing a Crankworks World Series. So mountain biking, festival, all different disciplines, pump track slalom, spin style. It's basically everything on two wheels, mountain biking. So spend two weeks in Rotorua and then head down to the South Island for five different mountain stops another Crankwork summer series, motorhoming, adventuring and everything else. Oh, that sounds so exciting. (laughs) Wow. I've just stepped into mountain biking full time into what's the discipline is what they call free ride mountain biking. And it's a time which is super inspiring for women. We've never been involved in events like Audi 9s that Mm. I just competed at in Germany, landed a world's first. It's not only the opening doors, um, but when one sanction, mm. like the Olympic Games, brings more action sport women on board, then it's pressure for the next X Games to do it, for UCI to do it. They all follow. So right now it's like an 
unreal time to go two years ago, you couldn't be a free ride mountain bike girl, whereas now you can. So I'm riding that wave and pushing my own progression. And it's funny because where I'm at now, I actually had so many limiting beliefs as an athlete. I identified as only a racer and I've learned that I can be a freestyle athlete. I can be more creative. I can learn all these tricks and skills. Like I don't just have to be racehorse A to B. So that's really been an amazing journey now too, to be 30 years old, started at age five and still being challenged now. God. I'm actually speechless. What a wild <laughs> ride. Hang on. No pun intended. <laughs> actually. <laughs> oh, my God, she did it. Yes. Oh. <laughs> She loves her puns. That's it. She just loves her puns. So, Caroline, tell people where they can find you and follow you along your journey and also, you know, any extra information about the Ignite program. Yes. So, Caroline Buchanan on everything, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Um, <laughs> and the Ignite program, it's all linked off mine as well, but through my website, carolinebuchanan.com forward slash Ignite. I'd love for more businesses to get involved. I've set it up as a brand. So the more businesses that get involved, the more scholarships that we can ignite. So I look forward to love it. putting it out there. Mike, drop. You're a phenomenal individual. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep inspiring more people just by being you because it's incredible. It's been incredible having a chat and it's exactly how you said We wanted to do this podcast because we wanted to put ourselves in a position where we are around extraordinary people doing extraordinary things in our lives because it makes us want to do extraordinary things and be extraordinary. So thank you. Thank you, Caroline. You're amazing. Thank you for having me. How Fitness Saved My Life is hosted by me, Action Alexa. And me, Jenna Louise. Producer, Tina Madelov. Audio production by Nikki Sitch. And executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. Listener.